Also, if you came a little later, my name is Edgar King. I am the lead pastor, and we are grateful to have you. Happy New Year, everyone. So, uh, New Year's are always amazing because uh, they are a very distinctive mark of a new beginning. So many of us, like, it just reminds us that, that, that we all need fresh starts, uh, or even if it's not a, a, a fresh start, uh, we all need to once again keep doing the right thing if that's what we're doing. But anyway, New Year's are new beginnings. We're excited about that. Sadly, just neighboring New Year is always the end of the year, Right? And sadly, so many people finish the year with a lot of regrets, if we're very honest. And, and those regrets are informing some of the decisions you're making this year. Some regrets are as simple as not having read all the books you promised yourself you'd read by the end of the year. You remember when you posted on Instagram, I'll read 30 books a month and then minus 30 because you've even forgotten what you read. Uh, but sadly, some decisions you made through last year that you reviewed just a week ago uh, had life-changing impact. You got to the end of the year and some of you said, what was I thinking, right? You got to the end of the year and some of you said, I wish I knew. Sadly, the end of the year, just the neighbor to the new year, the end of the year sometimes has regrets. And so we want to get ahead of that curve. As the year begins, we want to get ahead of that curve because it's still too early, right? It's still too early. It's still a bit fresh. And we want to equip you and ourselves. We want to equip each other to make decisions that make us better. Because what you end up celebrating or regretting at the end of the year is made one decision at a time. And sometimes some of those decisions will take 10 years to undo and others will never be undone. So we want to get ahead of that curve and uh, right when it's fresh, let us equip ourselves to make decisions that make us better. Make decisions that make you better. You know, so that when, you know... When you say at the end of this year, because as much as it's the beginning, we know, we do know, December will be here right before we blink twice, right? It, it just happens. The older you grow, it's like time just flies. And now everyone who's older than me is going, yeah, tell us about that, Edgar. So anyway, so if the end of this year you'll be able to say, I have grown wiser, I hope it will be because... You have indeed grown wiser, but not out of making uh, decisions that, that led you to regret. Now, speaking of wisdom, do you know who is wise? Do you know who would describe as a wise person? Wise people know that tomorrow is connected to today. Your story at the end of the year is connected to act how you actually start right now. Wise people know that. The book of Proverbs uh, uh, is a collection of wise sayings, some from Solomon and other wise people, uh, uh, full of God's wisdom, divides people into four. The first one is the simple. The simple are just unwise, they are unwise because they just lack experience. Think of a child whom you keep telling, don't touch the hot stove, don't touch the hot stove. 
they don't, they're just unwise, and one day they'll touch the hot stove, right? And then they'll grow wise and go, oh, this is why I shouldn't touch the hot stove. That's who the book of Proverbs calls the simple. The simple just lack experience. And they're taught by experience. Then there's a second group of people that, that the book of Proverbs calls the fool. The fool is a unique category. The fool knows what is right but doesn't do it anyway. How many have done that before? If you have, the book of Proverbs calls you in that, in that scenario and me, because I've done that too, the fool. You know what is right but you ignore it and do it anyway. Who cares? Then it has this third group of people uh, that, that it calls the scoffer. These are people who have no regard for God and no regard for other people. They're the people who say, Right? That's what we call scoffing. Now they forget that the beginning of, of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's the scoffer. Then it has this group of people that he calls the wise person. The wise know that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The wise know that tomorrow is connected today. And so they live with an awareness that the end of the year is determined by how the year begins. They live with an awareness that there is a point to be held accountable. They live with an awareness that nothing just happens, nothing just goes away. Inevitably, wise people learn to question themselves first. Wise people learn to question their motives and question their decisions. Their decisions. Woo! I have heavy teeth nowadays. So, so, um, so the way I will invite us into wisdom is by, by in this couple of weeks, uh, invite us to be people who actually question our decisions. Don't just make decisions. You have the freedom to make them. It's your life anyway. But could you stop long enough to question your decisions? Could you stop long enough to investigate the decisions you make? Let's pray. Jesus, you're the wisdom of heaven, and we are your people, and you are our king. Lord, I ask that you, because your presence is here, empower us. Empower us. Come and speak to us as a community and as individuals. And do what only you can do in us. Amen. So I cut my hair right after our last celebration. Um, and um, the idea was that it would grow back by the time we get back. And it didn't, clearly. It's kind of grown back. If anyone saw me the day after, Chebukati had no game. Right? It was so, It was glittering. And, um, and I, I, the idea was always to grow my afro back. I, I, it's been seven years since I saw my scalp. And some ladies are going, seven years? I've never seen my scalp. But anyway, it's, you know, it's been seven years since I last saw my scalp, I think. And I was going to go grow my afro back. Then this Wednesday, I was just walking by the mirror. I wasn't really looking at it. And I looked at myself and I thought, what a beautiful man. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. I'm not, I'm not being silly. And I thought, it's just the right height, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's honestly the second best thing after my dreadlocks. 
But I'm not going to promise that we won't see the Alpha. I don't know. You know, life changes. This was a change I wasn't expecting. But one more thing I was seeing in the mirror. Okay, let's move on past my issues. One more thing I was seeing in the mirror was the easiest person for me to deceive. The easiest person for me to deceive is myself. And before you go, oh, pastor, you need prayer, and I do, the easiest person for you to deceive is in the mirror every time you look at it. You are the easiest person for you to deceive. Inside you is a salesperson who always sells you on bad ideas. Uh, my friend Betty is a, is a sales rep, and, you know, her job is to, con well, Ah, she'll forgive me. No. Anyway, her job is to convince you that you need their product. You need it. Without this product, your life is pathetic. You need this product. That's what salespeople do. And she's very good at her job. But interestingly, inside us is a salesperson. We don't need anyone else to sell us on bad choices. Think about it. All your bad choices, as you were reviewing the year that ended, all your bad relationship choices, no one had to convince you into them. You did it yourself. Someone inside you said, it is a good idea. Who did? You. Think about that thing in your house that you bought that you, you shouldn't have afforded it. No one ever uses it. Who, who told you it was a good idea to buy it? You did. Think about that expenditure in December. I'm speaking to myself here. Think about that expenditure in December that left you broke, maybe for all of 60 days of January. Who told you it was a good idea? You did. Oh, in this case, I did. We so easily deceive ourselves and make decisions that are not in our best interest. Here's how it works. Our minds, oh, sorry. Our minds and our hearts conspire against us. They collude against us. It starts with the heart. The heart says, I want this. And then it tells the mind, which is the lawyer and the, and the part of us that comes with all these good ideas, find a way to justify what I have decided. Then our mind comes up with a narrative that we believe eventually. Our mind comes up with a narrative and says, we need it. So our heart says, I want this. I desire this. It is my heart's desire. And then our mind says, we need it. Without it, we cannot make it. And it forms a narrative. Here's the problem with that. All of us, you and me, and all the people you've known in your life come, are born with a very serious defect. All of us. We, we have this defect where once we've made up our minds, we look for facts that support the decision we've made. And we then ignore every fact that goes against the decision we've already made. That's how our minds work. Each one of us, we have that defect. All of us. We're convinced you, 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 you're convinced you want to buy something, you completely ignore the fact that you shouldn't be affording that thing with your salary. And then you convince, you, you listen to the fact that says, oh, but Naivas has it on offer. I could get it now because who knows when this offer will come back again, right? And you go ahead and do it. You want to date her? 
Once you're convinced, you ignore all the red flags and you just think, oh, it's just her skin, right? You convince yourself that, you will, you will change, that she will change. After all, you are a prayerful person and you're praying for them each morning even. In fact, God seems to be putting all the signs you need. Everyone is mentioning her name. It's like, even my grandmother had that name. Oh my goodness, is God saying something here? Right? When you decided who you want to vote for, you ignored all the corruption against them, all the racism, all the tribalism, and so, and so you supported them, and, and, and that, that one day they went to church, you said, I told you, this one's a believer, this one fears the Lord with all his heart. That one cuts across through many cultures that often come here, because I think in the last several years, most of the people who come here, their, their home countries have had that issue, right? Even our own. This is what is called confirmation bias. You see the facts that you already agree with, or you ignore the facts that you don't agree with. Now, some decisions are neither here or there. Will you have coffee or will you have tea? Who cares? But some decisions have the capacity to change your lives for better or for worse. Wise people know that their decisions today will impact them tomorrow, but also that their decisions don't just impact them. Your regrets are not just yours. We know that too well because some of us wish our parents made different choices. Many of us wish our leaders made different choices. Your regrets aren't just your own. This is why it's very important. So here's why I want us to talk about it at the beginning of the year. Hopefully before you make some of those decisions that will change your life. The problem is that when you're in this space of making decisions, all decisions, no decision is, is emotionally neutral. When you're in this space of making decisions, you actually cannot listen. You just cannot. No one could shout loud enough or give you sound, uh, sound enough advice. You just cannot listen. You know why? Here is something that was written 2,500 years ago in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Could we read that uh, together? And just so that you know that this is about your heart and mine, yeah? Let's do it together. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, I want you to change the article that and put my, okay? Just so you know it's you we're talking about. Let's go together with my. My heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? These were the words of a prophet who lived many years before Jesus. And here's the backstory. He was an advisor to kings. You know, just the same way leaders of nations today have advisors. And the hope is that they have good advisors and that they will listen to their advice, right? Uh, one of the things I have heard about presidents of our nation or at least for the first Kenyatta, I have only read about it. There's, there's one thing that's often said. Shida siyo rais. Shida ni? 
Watu wanamzunguka, right? The president is not the problem. The problem is those around him. <laughs> and that is, I think, you know, our culture, and I think it's a good one, we, we are very, very, uh, we have uh, reverence for leaders. So even if we know this leader is making bad choices, we'd rather blame it on everyone else around him. She does your rice, ni watu uh, and anyway, so Jeremiah was one of these advisors, and he was one of the good ones, and he feared the Lord. But the kings and the presidents do not have to follow the advice of their advisors. They actually don't have to. They actually don't have to. That's why they're just advisors. They're not co-decision makers. So he served under, the, under three kings. The first king was called Jehoiakim, and, uh, and when he became king, Judah was was paying tribute to uh, another nation called Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Just the same way Kenya is paying its debt to China every year. So this king paid the, paid the tribute, and, and three years in, he was like, I don't want to keep doing this. So Jeremiah comes to the king and says, that's a bad idea. Don't do that, because... Babylon and his king will be angry and they will come. Number two, it's not only a bad idea, this is not what God wants, right? And so, but he ignores the advice. He, 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 he decides that he wants to follow his heart. And then he actually switches allegiances and starts paying tribute to Egypt. Egypt had just beaten Babylon in, in, in a battle. And so they were the top superpower. So, you know, world power changes from time to time. Right now, China is poised and, and, and dreaming of becoming the next superpower after America, probably in 2030. So there's always change in world superpower. So Babylon was a superpower. They lost a battle. And so Egypt was looking very good. And so the king of Judah decides to side with Egypt. But of course, Nebuchadnezzar is mad. Who will he pick a fight with? Bahari Wawilo Akipigana? So he, got, he comes to Judah and he sets siege for three months. And then he goes in and, and takes the king uh, 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 and, and, and uh, takes him to a prison that he's made specially for kings. Then he puts, Nebuchadnezzar puts another king, the son of the former king, in his place. Uh, a few things happen. Three months later, he comes and removes the king, right? And takes him to his prison of kings. He had a special prison just for kings. And then he puts another king in his place. Uh, the, the king is uh, the uncle to, to, to the young boy who's just taken away. His name was Zedekiah. So Zedekiah, like listen, if you've seen two kings deposed and, and, and imprisoned, you know not to mess around, right? So Zedekiah is, is, is who I think the book of Proverbs would call a fool because he knew what was right, but he didn't do what was right anyway. So Zedekiah ends up being the king of, of Israel, and, and here's what the Bible says about him. In 2 Chronicles 36, 11, and 12, Zedekiah, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. He too decided to rebel against Babylon. He too decided to ignore 
uh, Jeremiah's advice. This guy knows what is right, but he wouldn't do it anyway. He's a fool. But he decides that he wants to follow his heart's desires. Now, if you drop there in the middle of his court with a time machine that is yet to be built, what are you going to tell Zedekiah? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Don't do this. You should know better. But partly, it's because we know how the story ends. We're not any different from, from Zedekiah. So he's warned that this is not what God wants. He's warned that this is a bad idea. He ignores. So Jeremiah the prophet goes into the streets of Judah and starts telling people, Babylon is coming because the king has ignored my advice. The king is no longer paying tribute. And this is not what God wants. Listen up. When Babylon comes, the best thing for you to do is open the gates and let them come in. Don't fight. And he keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. Zedekiah decides this guy is scaring people and he's making me look like a fool, which he was. So what does he do? He takes Jeremiah and, and, and throws him in a dry well. So, it sounds like good drama, right? It could make for a good movie. But the reality is, this is what we do every time. We find the truth sayers in our lives and we find a way to silence them. We find the people who, tell, who ask us the questions we don't want to be asked and we find a way to silence them. We stop picking up their calls. We stop going to that church. We start saying things like, this is my life and I know what I'm doing. We say to them, oh, you're too young, you don't get it. Or, oh, you're too old, you don't know how we do things nowadays. We're thinking that Achaia is being crazy, but we do this all the time. We find the truth slayers and we silence them. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, sure enough, shows up, sets siege to Babylon, and waits to starve these people to death. He just waits outside. He just waits outside. No one could go in. No one could leave. And then Zedekiah finally finds Jeremiah and says, please ask God to have mercy on us. Jeremiah tells him, listen, it's, it's done. It's done. Your best bet is to open the gate and, and ask for mercy. But of course, there was not going to be mercy for this king. And so he starts running away through the tunnels. I think those tunnels can still be seen in Israel today. Of course, he was caught and he's, he was... His family was murdered right before him, and then his eyes were plucked off. The last thing he saw was the death of his family. The decisions you make don't just impact you. The, the regrets you have don't just impact you. Even private decisions often have public ramifications. As outsiders, we, we look into the story and we wonder, what are you thinking? You've seen what's happened to the first two kings. Behave yourself. How could you be so foolish? Who does that? But you know what? They were just following their hearts. But we at the same time are no different from these kings. Our culture's best advice is, do we know our culture's best advice when someone's uh, trying to do something, what do we tell them? Follow, follow your heart. As long as you are, as long as you're happy. 
Jeremiah would jump into that conversation you're having with your friend and go, no, whoa, 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 don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. And he would add, your heart is deceitful. Don't follow it. And because of our broken culture, we love the wrong things. Or even when we love the right things, we love them in the wrong order. Don't follow your heart. Because that is how you ended up at the end of the year saying, what was I thinking? That is why some of you ended up with the end of the year saying, I was such a, don't follow your heart. It is deceitful above all things. You know, but, but the very same phrases we used for those three kings sometimes end up being the very same phrases we use for ourselves. Or maybe we use them on others. Your siblings, your children, as they make bad choices, you're going, I told you, don't follow your heart. That's a bad idea. So anyway, how do we get ahead of this? How, do, how, how could we change anything? What do you do when someone keeps lying to you? Anyone? Someone, maybe you've hired them and they keep lying to you. Wow. I guess we don't. No, seriously, it's really okay to shout back at me. We fire them, right? What do you do if you're in a relationship and someone keeps lying to you? You walk away. You need to fire the dishonest part of you. I need to fire that dishonest part of me. The first step of this is telling yourself the truth. Learn to ask yourself, uh, 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 learn to make yourself tell yourself the truth. So I want to invite you to do two things. One, every, every big decision you're making, submit your decision to two or three trusted friends who love God and love you. Don't do it alone. You don't even have to do what they say. You don't even have to agree with them. You need to be humble enough to invite two or three people into that decision. Hey, I'm thinking of this. What do you think? When we shout out truth sayers in our lives, it's an indication that we already know that we are bent on the wrong direction. Remember that decision that ended badly. You could have talked about it long ago, but why didn't you? You knew what she would say. You knew what he would say. You already knew. When you find yourself not inviting people in, it's sometimes an indication that you already know that you're bent in the wrong direction. Swallow your pride and submit your decision to two or three people who love God and love you. Because if they love you, they want the best for you. If they love God, they will speak prophetically into your life. Here is what Proverbs says, 11:14, where there is lack of guidance and nation fails, but victory is won through many advisors. Don't listen to our culture that says, oh, if you say it out loud, if you say it out loud, you'll jinx it. It's not true. That's a lie. Find people you trust and who love God and talk to them. There's a big difference between, hey, this is what I am doing. And hey, I wanted your advice on this. Those are words you don't tell everyone, but it's sad when you tell them to no one. 
Find people you can say, hey, I need your advice on this. It cannot be everyone, but it, it better be a few people. Then, this is the big question for today. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I being honest with myself? Really? Really? Forget what you told your family, they bought it. Forget the reasons you gave your community group when they asked you. Forget what you told your spouse and she didn't want to get into confrontation so she believed you. You owe it to yourself to tell yourself the truth. Yes, yes, the narrative you gave was really convincing, but are you being honest with yourself? Why did you really move in with them? Really? Why did you really go over to his house that night? Really? Why did you really start dating her? Why did you really buy it? Why did you really stop coming to church? Why did you move from that church? Why did you really not go home to see your father? Why did you really stop calling your family? Not what you sold and people believed, but be honest with yourself. Even if you don't do anything about it, you owe it to yourself to tell yourself the truth. Okay. So I want us to sit in threes again. <laughs> Is that good? And I... Um, in a short while, I'll have the band come up. But I want us to sit in threes and just have a short, a short conversation with, uh, with each other as a church community. The questions I want you to, to each ask yourselves is, who is the biggest influence in your decision making? How do you usually take big decisions? And three, is there a decision that you feel God is inviting you to be honest with yourself about. One of the ways, you know, I'm, I'm, it doesn't have to be a voice. Hey, think about this. It just could be that decision that came to your mind as we had this conversation. So why don't we sit in threes and then I'll come back up and uh, lead us through response.